Welcome to Wild Connection, the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Vertolin, but you can just call me Dr. Jen. I'm a scientist and author that studies animal behavior. I live in the United States with my beautiful senior cat, Senor Antonio Botones. I'm passionate about animals and I love helping people reconnect with nature to live better lives. This podcast is about you, other animals, and how we are connected in this crazy, wild thing called life. You can get the show notes and more on my website, jenniferverdelin.com. If you like my show, please subscribe to it so you never have to miss an episode. Welcome back, everyone. And this episode is really special. A few years ago, I had the honor and privilege of meeting Dr. Thomas Rashad Easley, a.k.a. Rashad Ease. He's a certified diversity consultant and the assistant dean of community and inclusion at the Yale School of the Environment. But he is so much more. He's also a passionate human being, a former campus pastor, a scientist, a forester, an author, a musician, and a fierce, not holding back, I am here kind of man. And luckily for me, he's also my friend. Our first encounter came about because I was thinking about addressing issues of justice, equity, inclusion, and diversity in my role as a professor, and I felt like I was doing it all wrong. Or rather, I had no idea what I was doing. In that first conversation, I found so much more than guidance on how to get it right. I found a kindred spirit. I was fortunate that he visited where I was working to present and help a lot of us understand what it was going to take if we actually wanted to address structural inequalities, and not just talk nicely about how we really ought to do something. While he was there, we also spent time hiking and recording some podcast episodes, one of which was for the Heartwood podcast at Yale. The more time we spent together, the more I knew I wanted him as a lifelong friend. I always learn from our conversations, and well, he tells me he learns from me too, so I guess I'll take the compliment. A few months back, we were walking through a forest and we got to talking about leadership. He was working on a new album and one song was about leadership. He was also working on his new book. And wouldn't you know it, he agreed to come on my podcast to talk about some truths surrounding diversity, equity, inclusion, leadership, and his music and upcoming book, Mind Heart for Diversity. As always, our conversations are real and heart-centered. So let's get to it. And you might just hear some birds chirping in the background. Okay, everybody, I want to welcome not just an amazing uh, leader, uh, someone working hard in diversity and inclusion, a fantastic, talented musician, writer, forester, former campus pastor, uh, really just there's so much that, that, but also friend, uh, Dr. Thomas Rashad Easley. Welcome to the show. Thank you, my friend. I got to say your name, Dr. Jennifer Verdeland, even though we we have more niceties, but I just want to acknowledge that too, you know, because um, I learn every time I communicate with you and every time I'm around you, whether it's virtually or in person. So thank you for allowing me to be here with you yet again. Thank you so much. And, you know, and I will say for our listeners um, that you and I have done some podcasts in the past. Mm-hmm. I was, yeah, I was very uh, fortunate and grateful to be on Heartwood. Um, 
twice. Oh, oh twice. You're twice. right. I was mm-hmm. on there twice. And, uh, and so mm-hmm. I'll make sure in the show notes that I put a link to those podcast episodes also so people Thank can you. discover the Heartwood podcast because there's a lot mm-hmm. there to, to, um, a value, uh, to listen to, uh, as you. there is with everything that you do. And before we start, uh, and really there's so many points where we can start. But one of the things that I like to share with people, because I don't know that we always get a sense of how people arrive at the place that they are and doing Mm -hmm. what they're doing. First, can you share a little bit about who you are and what you do, and then talk about how you got there? Sure. Okay. All right. Well, all right. Who I am and what I do, how I got there. Okay. Now, you know, on the the time, because, you know, sometimes I feel like I've done a lot, but I'm not going to get long-winded with you, my friend. And then I feel like I haven't done anything or I hadn't done enough. I shouldn't say anything. That's not true. All right. So how did I get here? So I am a couple of things. I'm in a job-wise, um, I'm an assistant dean of community and inclusion at the Yale School of the Environment. Very fortunate to be working there. Go Bulldogs. Thank you, Yale. Outside of Yale, technically while I'm in Yale, I'm also you know, a musician, entrepreneur, and I'm a diversity facilitator, certified diversity facilitator. Now, I'll make it quick, you know, how did I get there? To me, this is how I got there. Being raised by both my parents and my grandparents. My grandparents exposed me to gardening when I was a kid. As I got older, I learned that my mother was a civil rights activist who went to jail at the age of 14. As I continue to learn, I've realized, oh, her older brother, Reverend Dr. James Orange, okay, was really the first field lieutenant appointed by Martin Luther King in the civil rights movement. Martin Luther King Jr., excuse me. Did I say Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? Hope I did. I didn't. I said it there. But I got to admit something. Even though my uncle is a big reason why I do what I do, the strongest person who's still been away from my life longest and still deep to me is my grandmother. Well, the more I dug into my family history, found out that my grandmother is the reason my whole family became civil rights activists. She was the one going to the meetings. She was the one bringing information back to her brothers and sisters and to her children. So I'm like, wait a minute. I'm up here wanting to yell for my uncle, which I still do because he was the leader and, and is still a big part of why I do what I do. But the person who I still say groomed me and as uh, from a baby to the man that I really still feel like I'm continuing to become is my grandmother. Okay, so civil rights is in my mind, is in my heart. I understand a lot of history growing up in Birmingham, Alabama. Leave there, you know, some other stuff. You know, I, I won't get into the pastoral stuff just yet. But that leads me, that contributes to me wanting to go to school. I go to school, I go to Alabama and major in forestry. I majored in forestry. Love my field of forestry, but I didn't major in, in it because it was a passion. I majored in it because I got a scholarship to go to school. Okay. So that's why I started in forestry and I'm still in forestry. Some of these diversity scholarships really do work if you treat people well and if you do it right. So the Forest Service stumbled onto something that they did right. Some things that may not have done correctly, but that one they did. That led me to working um, to, uh, you know, having an assignment working in Montana. That led me from there going to grad school after that, working in genetics, because that's what I really wanted to do when I got into forestry genetics. Working at Iowa State, I was fortunate to be a counselor in the, in the Ronald E. McNair post-baccalaureate program, and that's why I worked with students and helped them get into grad school. That's when I fell in love with how people learn. Like, oh, if I can work with all Latinx students where English is their second language, and I'm the only counselor that time that year that got everybody in the grad school. Of course, it was because of their brilliance, not me. But it was the relationship. I went, oh, 
wait a minute. And I was if I can help some other people. If I can do that, hey. And they didn't feel like they were hurt or harmed. They felt like they had a real support. I'm like, well, shit. What else can I do? Fast forward, NC State. Um, I had a job in between there and NC State, but just the NC State. And uh, I was the diversity director of the Community for Diversity and the College of Natural Resources. And for me, that's where the true foundation for DEI got laid, as well as how to do it in these natural resource and environmental spaces. Got my doctorate while I was at NC State. Go Pack. I always got to say that. And while at NC State, became a campus pastor, another story, and started doing business as a diversity consultant, facilitator, and a musician. Fast forward all of that, I get to Yale. And when I get to Yale, Yale, I got to give Yale some props on something or some respect. They understood that as a musician who is a forester, who's a geneticist, who's an educator, that they could probably use that. That's one of the reasons that they brought me there. My former institution didn't understand how to use it at the moment. You know, like they okay. since wisened up since I've left. And um, so I'll say all in all, in a nutshell, that's kind of how I got here. There's going to be some more to, to answer, but that's how I got to Yale. Right. Okay. How I started as an entrepreneur and why I care about diversity is because of my family. And I would also say it's also because of my faith that still um, educates me, informs me and helps keep me, you know, anchored. That's really why I do DEI, because I want people to feel loved, feel like they're valued the same way that I do for myself every day. And then I try to do it for and with other people every day. Your story is so powerful on so many levels. And one of the things I want to that that I picked up on was that there was a moment in time and you mentioned it at Iowa State where you recognized the ability for yourself to have a much bigger impact where it wasn't just, okay, I want to study this genetics on this thing, but where you can actually change people's lives. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like I was so fortunate to meet you through an experience of your, your work as a facilitator, as a certified diversity, equity, and inclusion um, consultant, because you came to my natural resource, we're both in natural resources um, environment, and, and before we talk about that work and and sort of what it is, what, what the experience is for you when you go to these spaces and, and what you're hoping for and what you actually see happen. Um, I also want to just sort of um, circle back to what you were saying, what Yale saw in you was the multitudes of you. And and I think that and, and I'm curious because I get the sense that you communicate the the benefits of having multitudes to the people that you also mentor and and lift up and 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 impact both in their profession or as students. And I think can you talk about what it feels like for you to be be appreciated and valued for the diversity of who you are? And bringing that to the table. Okay. The diversity of who I am and bringing that to the table. Well, well, one, it, 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 it took me some years, and I'll admit to you, every so often I fall back into it, where I didn't value what I did. Just be honest with you. You know, um, I'm probably the first person who minimizes everything that I do. I'm going to be real. Most people may not believe it. Because I'm always like, so what? Why? Why would everyone want to listen to me? 
the hell I got to tell them? How long have I lived? Where have I been? All right. So one, I had to accept myself some, and 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 then accepting myself. That's when I started displaying my skills, displaying that I was a hip hop artist, displaying that I could play music, displaying that I can facilitate groups of people, displaying that I can put a curriculum together, displaying that I can teach a class. You know, like it it took me time. So how does it feel? It it, it feels, well, let me be honest, I have to answer that a couple of ways. For me to feel 100% like someone values me the way that I want to be valued, they'll probably pay me what I want to be paid. They'll probably give me the pack, like a package that I'm asking for. But every time I go somewhere, I have to negotiate one way or another. I never had to negotiate with you, my friend. <laughs> but in other places, you know, I've had to, I, I never have to negotiate with friends. But I'm, I always feel like I'm negotiating with people who want to act like they're your friends. Yeah. So how does it feel to be appreciated for everything that you do? So when I can speak about that from a friendship perspective, it feels safe. Because that's how I feel when I'm with you. It feels comforting. And that's how I am around you. I feel extremely valuable. It's, it's almost like, you know, you have to please, please keep this in the, in, in the pocket because I want people to understand. It's almost like you have to work to stay appropriate because you feel so valued. It's like you love this person. Like right. you're like, wow, you see that in me? I have to not hug you again. I'm sorry. Let me stop. You know what I'm saying? I have to not look at you. Wow. Why? Because you see me the way I want to be seen. All right. Now let's talk about Yale. And, and I'm not going to talk bad about Yale because Yale has been good to me so far. And I'm afraid that they continue. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that Yale saw that I, uh, not I think, I know. They saw that I was published, that I've put, you know, put some work out there in the world. They saw that I was uh putting my mouth where my, you know, putting my, yeah, putting my mouth where my heart is. <laughs> you know, the things that I talk about are the things that I do. Congruency. Say what you do. If you say you don't allow people to treat you a certain way, you know, sometimes people have to be proved, you know, you got to prove it to them. Yale wanted to make sure that I was legit before I came. They got the proof, you know, like I'm, I'm there. So how does it feel? It feels good to not always have to remind people the skills that you have, you know, so let's, yeah. Okay. So what, so, okay. So what does it feel like? You know, whenever I talk to, to Jen, I never have to remind Jen about the music or the forest. As a matter of fact, you remind me of that. <laughs> well, you are very humble. So you're going to be pretty uncomfortable in this podcast because I'm going to talk you way up. Um, oh and uh, so, you know, but, but it's interesting because I think there's a difference and I don't know if you would agree between being seen and valued for for the ability to bring seemingly different skills together mm-hmm. into a congruent and an alignment, right? So, so everything about what you do, from your music to your forestry to your mentorship to your leadership to your facilitating to your role at, at Yale is aligned. And I feel like that is such a powerful sort of message to students, uh, to other people that you work with, that it is possible. You don't have to be one dimensional. You can be multitudes. Right. And and to be, even if, if, if someone hires you or works with you to use that, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like at the end of the day, and I don't know if you feel this, mm-hmm. 
they're they may have taken it because they saw that how they could use it to their advantage but they can't escape being impacted by it Ooh. <laughs> yay quote you got quote yourself you gotta quote we're you gonna that. tweet you that we're gonna mic. tweet that you gotta tweet that my <laughs> goodness drop the mic yes it, 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 I, okay yes I, all i can do is it, it, what, I can't say anything. I'm like the Jay-Z song. What more can I say? What, I can't say nothing. Do you agree? You agree with that then? I completely agree. Yeah. Completely agree. I, uh, because, okay, whoever's listening to this, I agree with Dr. Verda. Even if you're from the institution that Jen is talking about, I agree. All right. I want to add a piece. I want to just add a little piece to it, to not to what you're saying, because what you said doesn't need any added piece. I just want to add a little layer to it for the people listening. Because... The way you said that is uh, 100% what it is. So let's elaborate a little bit. So when I come, they're going to like what I do that works for them. Okay, which means that when I come in there, the uniqueness that attracted them to me is what they like when I first come in. Usually what happens in especially fully established institutions, when the uniqueness or the unique person comes in, the next thing we have to do is we have to get you to, in a way, fall in line with how we do things here, right? And so to be honest with you, that's part of the reason why, like you said, they're going to feel what I do anyway, because I'm not a person that you can push around and back into a corner and uh, make me fearful of what you're going to do to me if I don't comply. Right. You know, so I'm like, you know, so I'm, that means I'm unapologetically myself. I'm comfortable being, being me. The only people who can fully deal with that and work with that are people who fully embrace themselves. And the sad part is the majority of people in the world actually haven't done that because they're living a life of what other people expect them to do. Me, I'm more like, well, I'm trying to live a life of what I want to do and what I think I'm supposed to do and what I think you want me to do. Right. So, yeah. And and I have witnessed, you know, uh, like I said, and so let's talk about that a little bit because, you know, sometimes, and it, and and I'm not trying to you know change the subject to something lighthearted, but it's almost like dating, right? You're attracted to the qualities of a person that stand out, that are unique, and and then when you're really confronted with what it means to interact and to uh, to to reflect and to integrate the aspects of what they are telling you and who they are, that's when it gets rough, and I feel like. When you come into a space, when you've been invited to come into a space, because you come invited, right? Right. Right. You are asked to come that that there's a disruption that happens. There is a, and I guess I want to know from you sort of what is your experience when you first walk in, when, when you've been called upon, uh, whether, whether it's a university or any other entity for your consulting work, for your diversity, equity, and inclusion work to facilitate change really, um, Mm -hmm. in a space, what is it, what is the experience for you when you first walk in? Well, it's because I've been the inaugural person in the roles that I've had the last three positions that I've had, it's been the same thing for the most part. What happens when I walk in? When I first walk in that first day or maybe even that first week, everybody is so happy that I'm there. They are so happy. It's like, oh, so glad you're here. And But there's something that comes along with that. You know, which is why I don't allow people to kiss my butt when I first get somewhere. 
I'm like, why are you so happy that I'm here? Because I never feel that way when I meet a new person when they walk in the door. I'm never like, oh, I'm so happy that you're here. You know why? Because I don't look up to people. That's the first thing. Because every, because nobody's perfect. The other thing is, I don't think you're going to solve all of my issues. As a matter of fact, I think it's asinine to think that when a person comes into an institution that they're going to solve all the issues. I don't care if it's the president or the dean or a faculty member or a certain student. It's ignorant to think that they're going to solve everything. And the ignorance lays on the, on, the, on the shoulders of the people who are expecting that. So, yeah, the people who feel that way, I just called you ignorant. And I mean it. Now I'm going to tell you why. Please do. Because, because when you get, okay, one, because you're a human being. So, so you're not you, I'm saying to the people, you're sure. a human being. And I noticed that many people now need other people to help them feel like they know what they're thinking or what they're feeling. That's why it's ignorance. Because I'm like, be an adult for a moment, please, and own how you feel. And that's really the majority of what I do when I'm in the space. I just keep owning what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling because I don't have strong thought partners I can share it with because people keep thinking that they're too ignorant to do the work. Or, you know, I don't have someone courageous enough to stand on their own tour or sit, whatever, to, to do it because they're too busy being concerned about the environment. Now let me take two steps back and go, I get it because I've been there. But here's the reason why I don't like everything I said that happens the first day or the first week because when everybody's coming in there, they're also bringing all of their crap to you too. I'm so happy that you're here. Why are you happy that I'm here? Because now I have somebody that I can unload in. I'm so happy that you're here. Why are you happy that I'm here? Because now I got somebody to talk to. And I'm like, but I just got here. Well, here's what I don't ask them, but I, it'd be great if people did because this is what I ask myself about other people. Why are you putting this on me when I just got here? That's why I don't do that to people. Yeah. See? So when a new person comes in the door, in my opinion, that's not the time to run up to them and, oh my gosh, and give them everything. That's the time to give them space. <laughs> and let them figure it out. It's, I'm going to just throw a little something out there in the world, just real quick, Jenny, that we can jump off of. It's, for me, it's the equivalent of childbirth. When a child comes into the world, everybody gets so happy. Oh, my God, congratulations. I usually, that's when I get sad. Actually. <laughs> I actually am happy on the other side when they're leaving the planet. Why? Because I don't know what this person is getting ready to experience now that they're here. And you brought them into this world. Right. See, I have a different understanding about it. And I'm like, so everybody's like, congratulations. I'm like, pray now. Because <laughs> we don't know what's about to happen. Okay, same thing with me going into that role. I just got here. I don't know what this place is going to be. So that's why I monitor even being excited with other people's excitement. I don't get excited when I go into a new place. I leave that for them. I'm more like, yeah, I'm waiting for the stuff to hit the fan and for the truth to come out. And then by the time it comes out, <laughs> while everybody is ready for you to figure, fix everything, you like, I was already a month ahead of y'all. Here's the plan. Right. So, uh, yeah, that's how well, and I'm curious, right? Because because what do you see your role in going to places that have invited you to facilitate? I'm assuming change in their approach or yeah. their mentality or their culture, really a culture of a place. And and so, what do you see your real main role is, or what is your goal for? Uh, to to have happen so that you leave, and and what are you hoping happens after you leave? All right, so here's a little tip of how I enter versus and in it to just oppose it to how I leave. When I come into a place, I want to leave as best I can with more capacity to appreciate the people that are there than I had when I first came in. Like my one of my own personal philosophies, I want to die with more capacity to love than what I was born with. 
So that means in order for me to leave a place like that, I have to put boundaries around me while I'm there so that I'm not exhausted all of the time so that I don't get burnt out all of the time so that I'm not triggered every time somebody comes into my office and says something so that I'm not sent on the edge when 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 an emergency comes up because just because it's their emergency doesn't mean that it's mine and so uh I manage my expectations I manage my energy I manage my excitement I think about how I want to leave a place before I get busy so if I want to leave a place intact that's the way that I start doing the work that I'm doing which means that I don't go into a place holding the weight of the world on my shoulders anymore. Like I'll fix it. I go into a place like, I know you've appointed me to be here to help you with this change, but I'm going to help you if not show you that this change only happens when you're involved in it. Not when I'm doing it by myself goes back to what you said earlier about, okay, so if I come into a place, right, if I do all of the work, this is for the people who think that this, that's the way it's supposed to be, even though ignorance is not the way. I'm challenging ignorance and say that's not how it's supposed to be. If I do exactly what I just said, that means I'm going to be the coolest person there. And everybody there who needs a leader is going to despise every other leader that's there because I become the person that everyone likes. Now, here's the sad part about that. That's technically what's going to happen anyway. If you're the leader that sits aside and says we're going to leave all of that to Thomas. <laughs> Yes, I, you know, yeah. And you and know, who it's, gets mad at me? The leaders who are not liked and, they, and then they're mad at me because of what I did. That's right. And, and I'm curious. Uh, so gosh, so many questions. So, uh, you know, mm-hmm. one of the, one of the notes I, I made was, uh, wanting to know what do you think is the biggest misconception the people that bring you in have mm-hmm. about what you're going to do for them? Oh, this the ease. Oh, this is the it's two misconceptions, which is and, and I know I still didn't answer your last question, so I'm going to answer that. Through. I'm so sorry. That's OK. The two misconceptions are I'm going to fix everything. And the second and OK, and here's why that's the that's the that's the second worst misconception, because the first worst misconception is what leads you to making that statement. You don't think you can do anything. So the first misconception, which is the worst one, is how you see yourself. I can't do anything, which then leads to the second misconception, which becomes the worst for me, which is, yo, oh, I'm going to solve everything. Right. So when you say, what's my role? Yeah. Coming into a place, my role is to hold the space for everybody there while y'all are trying to figure out who you are, who you want to be and who you are not. Because technically, the way they brought me in, I'm not the one with the problem. Of course, you're not the one with so, the problem. Otherwise, you know, yeah, right. And and if there was no problem, you wouldn't be there. But right. but here's here's the kicker. I think not that it, I'm perfect. I'm not saying I'm perfect. No, no, no. I know. But but you said something about um, that you're you're coming in to fix it, and and you can't fix it. It's uh, that you think you can't do it. That is also there's another piece I think that that we are reluctant. Not you and I, but people are reluctant mm-hmm. to talk about. That assumes that everybody wants it to change. That assumes that everybody wants it to be different. And so without talking about any specific places, can you recognize when you come into a place uh, that you're sitting at the table with people who A, may not think there's a problem, or B, don't care that there's a problem, they like it just the way it is? Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I just, yes. (laughs) I just thought I'd bring that, you know, that out of the closet because, Mm -hmm. you know, we herald all of the advances we're we're trying to make. And there are people who are committed 
to change and there are equally people who are committed to not changing. Mm-hmm. I call those people concerned about diversity versus those who are committed to, to diversity. I talk about this in my book and I know we'll get to that we at will. some point, but yeah. Um, I say people who are concerned about diversity are always asking questions and trying to poke holes at what you're doing. And here's the thing. I'm not actually against that in particular if you're also with me doing the work. Because you remember what I said? I'm doing that to myself. So what? Why are we doing this? I'm always trying to do that. The issue that I have is you're going to poke holes at something, but it's something that you're not a part of. You don't want to be a part of it. So if you're poking holes just to point out what we could be doing better, even though you who probably doesn't have a skill to do what we're doing. So you just want to poke the hole so you can feel justified. The only use I have for you is to sit your tail over there. Now, like because it's the committed people. Yeah, because it's uh, inauthentic. It's, it's, in, an, yeah, it's not real. It is not real. And, and let's talk about your book, because I want to know mm-hmm. first, you got to tell us what the book is about and why you sure. wrote it. Sure. Um, and I, I wrote it for the committed and the not committed or the concerned people, you know, because I think that the committed people are the ones who are like me. You're trying to figure out how to do it. You're always like your whole aim is figuring out the possibility. How do we get to this? So, yeah. So I'll, so, so, so to get to, to the book, uh, the title of my book is Mind, Heart for Diversity. Been published by the University of Calgary out of Canada. So, you know, I'm looking forward to people actually reading it. And I am targeting leaders, diversity leaders, faculty, deans, CEOs, anyone who says that they care about diversity, anyone who says that they want to institute or um, implement a diversity initiative in your company, in your institution, in your organization. I tell people, I, I don't I don't think that my book, I'm not going to say what my, like, I don't, I don't want to minimize my book. My book's not going to tell you how to do it. That's actually a lot. My book will tell you how to do it. My book will tell you how I show up in spaces and how I get things done. And I'm happy that I can tell you, I can show you how to do what I do. I don't have to talk to you about it. No, I can show you how to do it. I can sit there and look at your paperwork and look at the positions your organizational chart and look at your organizational history and go, oh, here goes some of your problems right here. And just tell you, here are the walls or the pitfalls that you're getting ready to fall into or run or run into. So my book is written in a conversational way to help people. It's, it's almost like, um, you know, how they say hindsight is 2020. Yeah. One of the reasons well, why is hindsight 2020 and insight and foresight is not. I I was hoping you would say that. I just got goosebumps because my brain went there and I was like, oh, I hope he says it. I'm about to go into it. What I think, why, right? Yeah. Well, hindsight is 2020 because well, there's a big piece why it's 2020. And people hadn't written, you know, I don't think a lot of people realize it. But the first part is it's, it's 2020 because you've been through it always. You know, I've seen it. I'm looking back at it. It's behind me now. Okay. And I'm moving forward. All right. There's another real reason why hindsight is 2020. Because you accepted what happened back then too. So you accepted, you accepted what you went through. 2020 means you accepted how you contributed to it, if you did. And it also means that you've accepted the lessons that came from it. So you're hopefully not bitter about it and you've matured. Okay, all right. Well, how come insight, that's present sight, how come insight is tough to be 2020? Well, one, because it's in front, it's right here, it's, it's you. It's right here, it's present. It's not in behind you, it's, you're in it, you know. But the hard part is have people accepted the reality of where they are in that moment. It goes back to the misperception or to the, to, to the misconception. Remember, you know, yeah. have you actually accepted 
who you are. Can you tell me how you got here? See, if you can tell me how you got here and you accept who you are, you can really kind of accept the reality around you. Even if it doesn't feel good, you can accept it because you understand that there are pieces of it that you're not in control of and the pieces of it that you're in control of. Which brings me to the foresight. Huh, foresight. That's my favorite, actually. I love foresight because I'm like, foresight to me is like prophecy. Can I determine what's about to happen? And what I've learned about human behavior in my 42, soon to be 43 years on this planet, there's nothing new under the sun. Mm. It's really not. There's nothing new under the sun or moon. Let's say both. There's nothing new under the sun or moon. The only thing that's new is what happens to me and you, how we experience it. Racism is old. Sexism, old. Homophobia, old. Hate, old. Love, old. Capitalism, old. It's all old. It's uh, oppression, old. The sun and the moon can tell you more than you ever thought if you just look and ask it. The trees can tell you more if you just pay attention that are around. All right, so foresight. How does foresight become 2020? And I'm not a prophet, so you know I'm still trying to figure it out. Accepting where you've been, accepting who you are. I'm going to use a word that's going to irritate people. I don't care a term. Using some common sense about where the hell you going. Mm-hmm. And recognizing that some of what you're about to experience is in your control. Some of what you're about to experience is not in your control, but because human behavior is nothing new to it, you can almost predict what you're going to run into with a lot of humans as you continue to move forward. And that's for me, that's how foresight becomes 2020. Now, notice what I didn't say. I didn't say I can predict the future because I can't. Sure. I'm saying foresight about where I'm going and what I'm about to experience, that can almost be 2020. For instance, 2020. How did I know this interview was going to go peaceful? Why? Well, because the last time I was around Dr. Verdum, I respected all of her boundaries. We had a positive conversation and I knew a lot of what she was going through before she, you know, ended up where she is now. You know, that's your business, not mine to share. So when I get on the phone with you, I'm totally at ease. Why? Because I'm talking to my friend. I'm not on the phone with someone that I'm like... Have I offended her? Have I done something wrong? And I came in on time. I texted when I couldn't get into the. I, don't know how to, I know, you know I'm the saying? one that messed up. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. But, but, no, no, but that's not, I wasn't going to know. No, 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 saying, no, I know. I'm just telling the listeners. I was the oh. one that that uh, that messed up and <laughs> and wasn't on time. <laughs> oh no 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 no! Well, let me say this to listen. She was on time. Okay, she did everything that she normally would do. I I just I, I hadn't had the link. I just hadn't got. Okay, now I want you to realize realize what we're doing right now. Yeah, we're not allowed, we're not tearing each other down. No, and no, you weren't late. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, and I wouldn't. It, it wasn't even a mistake. Something happened. Figured it out. We move on. That's a true friendship relationship. So yeah. I'm not, so I'm totally at ease talking to you. You know, I want to give you whatever you want because right. I trust you. So my foresight is this is going to be a positive interaction. If something happens that takes it off, that's where I got to be adjust. I got to be able to adapt. And I want to make sure in the end, if something was bad to happen, I always go to, man, what did I do first to lead to it? You understand what I'm saying? Well, so, so that's the state of mind that I'm in. Yeah. That's it. So, so what I love about what you just said is self-responsibility. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you own who you are, where you are and where you want to go. I have yeah. observed as a, as a observer of behavior and humans are animals uh, that a lot of mm-hmm. people say they want to go one place, but they behave in ways that take them somewhere <laughs> else. And, and they fail to recognize the dis the, the the sort of dissonance between their what they say and what they do, 
And this brings me to something. And, and by the way, listeners, I'm at ease with, with Dr. Rashad, Thomas Rashad easily also, because even if I don't, if I'm not perfect, I know that there is, there is acceptance and love in this friendship and relationship exactly. and, exactly. and I don't have to be, and it's okay. So because my heart is in the right place. And when you're having authentic interaction with someone, they see who you are and there's mm. charity and grace that is given and received. So on that, I want to, you know, it's not going to look like I connected to the next sentence out of my mouth, but I, I have in my own mind, it, it's connected, which is we talk about diversity and inclusion and, and, and equity. And, and you mentioned something to me once uh, about belonging. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and I feel like a lot of collectively, individually, sort of structurally, institutionally, it's approached as a policy. Yeah. And I understand that, but I'm wondering, what does it mean to have that as a mindset? Mm. Gotcha. Okay. To have basically DEI as a mindset? Is, is, is that what you're asking about? Yeah. So is there a difference between, okay, we've got policies that support diversity, equity, and inclusion, but we have a commitment in, you know, in our hearts and in our minds and in our, our, our being as a, whether it's as a person, as a mm-hmm. unit, as a community, mm-hmm. as an institution, mm-hmm. that this is who we are. Ah, it's congruency. You know, I, Everyone listening, I just want you to know I'm, I'm a little emotional, but I get emotional every time I talk to Jen because <laughs> I feel too. safe. I got to admit because I feel safe. And the truth is, I don't often get to feel like that. I, I, I'll be honest. That's why, I'm, that's why my voice is shaking right now a little bit when you said what you said, because the truth is, I don't often get to feel like that. I don't. I don't. Only time I really, truly get to feel like that is with family, friends or when I'm by myself. So I just want to say that. But I can answer your question. All right. <laughs> to have the mindset of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, is a word that myself and Doc said about 40 minutes ago, congruency. Are you doing who you say you are? Are you being who you have told us that you're being? See, the challenge with a lot of the institutions is that see, you have layers, right? You got who I am as an individual, who I am as a participant in this organization or in this culture, what laws or policies govern how we maintain this culture? Okay, and then who put that together? Who came up with those laws? Okay, four different things I just said. It's me, then it's me in this place. It's me working with those policies and it's who put them in place. All right, so... See, and this is where I think this is why I can't wait for my book to come out, because I really think that I talk about this in my book. You as the leader, I keep saying you, but I'm not talking to Doc. I'm just answering Doc. Okay, for y'all to know. (laughs) You as the leader who says that you want diversity, equity and inclusion to be actualized or to be real in your place. You should not be saying that if you have not sat down and looked at every law or every rule that you have in your organization. Seriously, you actually shouldn't do that until you said. Let's look at the handbook. Let's look at everything that governs how we operate. Pull it out now. Right. Any, any leader who is doing that work without looking at that, you're almost setting up whoever you're going to bring in, if not yourself, to fail. Because you haven't looked at the real critical piece around how the organization moves. It's governance. And here's the other thing. 
any institution is a system, just like you and me are our own personal. I'm an ecosystem. You're an ecosystem. If I do something bad within my system around you, it's going to impact you. It's the same way. This organization is an ecosystem. So ecosystems, just like in nature, just like what you said about animals. That's why I love learning from you, Doc. Laws of nature are already at play. It pisses me off if we try to go against the laws of nature because it's already there. It's already yeah. there. Just like the same gender loving in animal kingdoms and oh, then yeah. they're not same gender. Okay, it's the same way. It's the same here amongst nature. All right, here we go. Systems are protected by the people who built them or systems are protected by the people who benefit from them. So if you're a rule maker, like if you're a person, like I have a, I have a coworker who I actually have a lot of love for and she'll say it every so often. She'll say, I'm a rule follower. Then I'll tell every so often and that's why you're a problem. Yeah because you're a rule follower. How do you know? Because I'm changing the rules or working against the rules. That's why I'm a problem. That means we're one another's problem unless we're on the same page. See? So if you're following the rules that I'm trying to change, I'm a thorn in your flesh just like you're one in mine. Right. That's why I tell people who do diversity work for some people, when you start dealing with resistance, I try to get my professionals ready. Get ready for the resistance. And they go, why? Because it's going to come from your friends. Why? Because they're just doing the damn job. They're just doing their job, excuse me. They're just doing their job, excuse me. I know it's a podcast right now to curse No, that's all right. They're just doing their job, which means that if you do anything that challenges their job, you now become the predator and they got to stop you. All right. So now you want DEI. What's the mindset to answer Dr. Verdon is very, I'm not minimizing what you said. No, no, no. Sure. I just want to say it's a very simple question, listeners. How do you do the mindset? Is what you say what you do? Is what you do what you say? When someone challenges the culture of the place, can they do it without penalty? If they can't do it without penalty, then that means we're not so DEI. If we bring people in and we say, we're going to put Dr. Vertel, we're going to put more responsibility on this professor than we do on this professor. Let me add a little piece. On this professor who's already tenured and already protected, we just challenged the old DEI. Why would you do that to the person who's not tenured or who, who doesn't have that coming in the door? Why are you going to put that on them? See, it's almost like it reverses the way that we work or it flips on its head the way that we work. And because the majority of people have not worked that way, they wouldn't know what to do with it if it showed up in their face. And I can give you an example, but I want to honor your time and stop. Well, you, you might be able to use your example in the question that I'm about to ask. All right. Because I've realized, you know, you and I, are talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I'm wondering if people really understand what that means. They don't. So let's talk about what that means. And then maybe from your example, maybe that's, that'll tie somehow to that example or another example of when you've seen what it isn't mm -hmm. and what it is. What it is. Okay. So DEI or D-I-E, or I-D-E, it doesn't matter, whatever you do with it. Right. Right? <laughs> if we're going to do diversity, equity, and inclusion, let's play around with it just, I'll I, I do it fast, you know, so I can, um, you know, to honor you always. Diversity. The word only means difference. That's literally all diversity means, difference. Equity, not the same as equality, okay? Equi equality is doing everything the same and treating everybody the same. Equity is giving people what they need when they need it. So it's not about treating everybody the same. It's about treating people the way that they need to be treated. The platinum rule, treat me the way I want to be treated. Then inclusion. Inclusion says that every verse, vo verse, Lord, I'm thinking about a song. Every voice is valued and has something to contribute. That's inclusion. All right. Difference plus having everything that I need 
plus being a valuable equal voice here means what? Oh, everything's fair. Oh, that's what it means. So we're trying to institute a spirit, a philosophy, an understanding, a culture of fairness in a place that wasn't built on it, wasn't constructed by it. Now you see why it's so hard to do it. Yeah. Like this is, change isn't hard. The decision to change is what's hard. Oh, change oh, hard. that is a tweet right there. Change yeah. isn't hard. The change decision hard. to change is what's hard. That's what. That's all that's hard. That's why these institutions are struggling because they're struggling with, with change. They're struggling with, do I do this or do I do that? Which means going back to what you said, what do I do? What's my role? My role is to hold the space until you figure out who it is you think you are, who you want to be. Because I already figured out who you are. I know you're racist. I know you're sexist. I know you're homophobic. I know you're Islamophobic. I know you're all of that. I know that you're the one that, not you, not Jen, not Jen. I'm talking about the institution. You're the one that doesn't know it. And I'm going to prove it to you. How? Because pay attention to who keeps bringing up all of the issues that happen at the institution. Who keeps, who, uh, you know what? Let me play angel's advocate because I'm not a devil. I just work with them. Let's play angel's advocate for a minute. Who keeps complaining? I'm going to use the word complaining. That's why I said I'm playing angel's advocate. Because I don't like to use the word complain. Who keeps highlighting the issues? Women, same, same gender loving people, gay, bisexual, queer, individuals, transgender, black, brown, Latinx, indigenous, poor. The same people complain about the system. Now, who complains about the change? Usually white people, white men in particular, certain white women, heterosexuals, Christians, able-bodied people, people with a lot of money. For real, Jen, I got to say this. I only get clear a lot of times when I talk to sages and you're one. That's why this clear is coming to me because it wasn't here an hour ago. The way that I just said it, for real. People should listen to this interview and just take it because I'm not making it up. Plenty of books been published. My book is about to be published. Plenty of articles being published. This scholar that I'm talking to right now is published talking about animal behavior and how human behavior can teach you a lot. So I'm not saying nothing that's new. It's old. So my thing is, okay, if I just said who, com- who, who highlights the, the gray areas and the inequities and who complains about the change in the process, there you go. Okay, so then what do we need to do? We need to figure out how to get these groups to work together because until we get them to work together, these environments are going to continue to struggle. So then we go back, well, who put the rules together? And this is why I tell people, you got to know the history of an organization. Well, I didn't put them together. <laughs> right. As if that abdicates you of responsibility to make change. Watch that. Right. But I'm not abdicated from the responsibility of honoring the governance or the governance structure. So how come those people are not um, held to accountability of governing the change that's coming along since we say we agree with it? And this is why people like me, like you, can tell when you're full of you know what when we get into a place. Remember what I said? There's nothing new under the sun. You think I haven't seen what's happened at Yale at an NC State? You think I haven't seen what happened at an NC State at an Iowa State? You think I didn't see what happened at an Iowa State, at the University of Georgia at Athens? I told you, it's nothing new. It's the same thing. I just see it. I can yeah. just explain it more as I get older. Like, oh, that's what it is. Listen, so pattern, pattern recognition is not hard when you've seen it a few times. Um, and, you, you know, what's interesting is you and I are both in natural resources. Right. And I don't know if you said this or if you think this, but natural resources tends to have a diversity problem. <laughs> Just going to say that. 
in the sense that a lot of differences aren't welcomed and there's not always equity and there's there's not really inclusion and we could say okay there's this there's this trend there's this pattern of this of the absence of this it's palpable in many places but there might be some opportunities that might create a unique opportunity you're a forester and you've done genetics and forestry and and so you bring a background of natural resources you have a love and appreciation and a value of the natural world do you see what do you think it well uh, do you see it as an opportunity to to really create change in a field that has been well i mean i said it already so i don't need to say it again okay i can answer your question doc you said do i see it as an opportunity and yes but if you don't mind i'm not trying to upset you i don't mind upsetting people who don't see things the way that we've seen sure i want to add another layer to that because you you know because I agree with everything that you said. I can't help it. You're talking our existence, of course. So, you know, you're singing, I'll take alto, you take soprano, you sing it to the choir. You said opportunity. I think that another uh, way of analyzing it, we should call it a challenge. I think we should see it as a challenge. Now, here's why I say, let's see it as a challenge. Because being an entrepreneur, as we both are, both, in, you know, both business, both uh, multi-talented, which you are, you know, I'm waiting to see you on stage because I <laughs> tell me every time we talk. Me too. <sighs> okay, okay. <laughs> see y'all, she did it again. <laughs> it's coming, it's coming. So I'll just put my number out there. Give me a call, y'all. Come on, y'all. Get her. Get her. <laughs> but see, you bring so many talents to the table too. And it's why you're such a great professor and hence why I know I always learn every time I talk to you and I listen to you. When I interact with Dr. Verdon, it's always an opportunity to me, right? Because I know that I'm going to get something good. But if I was an individual who didn't like learning from women, who didn't like, this is where the challenge part comes in, who didn't like learning from scientists who don't just write about their data, but actually go out and collect it, you know, in multiple different ways, people who have their own way of teaching, right? And if I got the problem with that, I see it as a challenge. So this is why I want to say that, because as an entrepreneur, what I have figured out is a lot of times it's the relationship between people that make things easy or make things difficult. So if I have a good relationship, just like I said, I saw this podcast recording as, man, this is fun because I'm going to get my life. I'm probably my heart's not going to be fast unless, you know, start laughing or start getting deep or getting emotional, which has happened. But I'm not sitting here like. The only way I'm sitting like this is if it's cold outside, I'm sitting outside, but I'm not, I'm like, okay. Cause I'm all open for the opportunity. But as an entrepreneur, I've gotten a lot more people to do things that I need them to do when I have a good relationship with them or when I communicate about something in a way that they're good with, which means they, not, they may not be my friend, but they're, but they're an associate. There's someone that I'm connected to. I think we should see it as both. See it as an opportunity and see it as a challenge. Me seeing it as an opportunity that makes it wonderful for me to engage with my friend. Me seeing it as a challenge allows me to interact with people who could be an enemy or who just may not see things the way that I see it. Now, here's the, here's the benefit of that. Because I do both ways, it keeps me from getting emotional with one and it keeps me being truly open and authentic with both. Do you hear what I said? I did. It keeps me from getting emotional with one, but it keeps me being authentic and genuine with both. Yeah. Because when you ask me a question about 
Thomas or T or Rashad, how you feel about this? I don't have to lie to Jennifer. I don't have to lie to you. I can tell you, Jennifer, we got a journey ahead of us, my friend. And it's an uphill battle all the way. And me and you, because we're the smartest people pushing this rock up the hill, notice what I said, because we're the smartest people pushing this rock up the hill, we got to deal with something, buddy. Now let's go to the person who is the challenge. This is how I talk to the person who is the challenge for them. I recognize that this may be challenging for you in this moment to do this. That's why I'm here to work with you. Yeah. So how can I communicate this with you or make it more welcoming for you to be a part of this? How do I do this with you? See, the tone is still the same. Tone's still the same. I still sound like I'm disarmed with this person. They don't, trust me, I've done this. And you've done this. I've done this with faculty, staff, and students, just like you've done it. And they end, eventually end up moving with me because they feel respected by me. This is when they get smacked in the face is when they don't display the same behavior. And then I go, don't you remember what I did with you last year? Don't you remember what I did with you an hour ago? Yeah. Don't you remember what I did with you last month? Why aren't you doing that with the people who come to you for that kind of help? And then that's when people either feel convicted or feel like a you-know-what because it's like, oh, yeah, you did do this with me. And this is when I tell the EI professionals, that's why you can't be nice all the time. See, that's where they mess up. We think that we got to go into the space and be gentle with everybody and be nice. And I'm like, no, nah, you got to know when to turn it on or turn it off. Yes, and this is, listen, you know, I would say anybody that wants – uh, that really is committed to a, a philosophical, cultural, structural, individual, collective, departmental, institutional business change. You need you need someone like you there because no, I'm serious because this idea that we can pour pink paint over you know problems. And just be, you know, like, oh, there's no rage here. There's no problem here. Or this is a problem, but we're just going to, like, you know, talk in this voice and be really calm. And and we're just going to, like, meditate on the concept and we'll, it'll all just magically happen. No, you need somebody to come in and, and say, hey, what's going on here? And, and right. also to know, and this is what I love about you. I love so many things about you, but you have this way of knowing when to push and when to hold. And that is what is I, I saw in you when I first met you and what I wanted to learn from you, because, you know, sometimes I'm just like bull in a China shop, you know, shove everything down everybody's throat. Nobody likes that. And, you know, and, and so um, knowing when to push, when to hold, when to pull back a little bit, all of those things lead to success. And this brings me, you're going to love how I transition to this leadership, because this is also going to tie to your music because we, we're not done. We got to get to your music. We've got your, your, your work, you've got your entrepreneurship and your, your, uh, you know, your consulting and your book coming out that's creating an opportunity for other people to learn and implement things that will create change. Mm -hmm. And that makes you a leader. Okay. And, and I want to think, I want to ask you what you think leadership is. Mm. Okay. I'll be real with you, doc. If you don't mind, I, I kind of want to answer that, but I'd like to answer it with that example that I said I was going to give you. And I can, and I can do it quick. Okay. So here's the thing. So, um, 
I was I applied for a job and unfortunately, you know, didn't didn't get it. And, you know, and this is I'll admit it's a job that I wanted. Right. You know, some may be if they care about me. Right. Oh, it's whack for them. I'll say it's whack for me. You know, I missed it. Right. So anyway, so I'm talking to the head of the of the, of the organization and they asked me, you know, they they gave me a suggestion on something that I could have done to win the people over more. And what they said was to literally give us a plan, like a plan, like what you would do. And then I had to remind them, I said, well, I actually did give you a plan. I told you exactly what I was going to do. It's just that I didn't give you all of the all of the uh, full specifics because I can't accomplish this alone. You have to accomplish it with me. So I said, so I, I, I left it open so that you would understand that I'm not going to come in and push all around and tell you what to do, but I know what needs to be done. I feel like I know what needs to be done, but you, I'm sure there are people here who know too. So I want to learn with them. So they were like, oh, interesting. So, you know, and the person that they hired literally gave them a plan. So I told them, I said, I think it's going to work out. Congrats to you. I hope it works out. I said, it's my experience that reality eats plans for breakfast. Oh, and I was yes. like, so, you know, so then when I said that, they were like, mm, that's another interesting thought. Now I say this one last piece and then I'm going to answer your question. And then they asked me about, do I have any other ideas or suggestions for the process? And I said, well, no, I'm not going to give you a suggestion for your process because it's what you do. But I said, but let me ask you something. And they said, okay. I said, so I was the first person who interviewed for the job. Then you told me that the finalist was the week after. Then I waited for two or two and a half weeks to hear from you. I said, do you think I didn't know what you were doing? And they were like, hmm. I said, you know, when you sent me that email, said, oh, yeah, you know, you know, I'm sorry it's taking so long. You know, you know, we're going to get back to you. I said, did you think I didn't know that you were negotiating with the other person? So talk about fairness. Talk about honoring somebody. Now, don't get me wrong. For everyone listening, I'm not wearing my emotions on my sleeve saying, see, you disrespect me. No, I'm saying because I know the process. That's what I mean when I say many of us in our institutions are full of you know what. Right. When it comes to DEI and treating people fairly. So, of course, after I said that, the person was like, wow, wow. You see, it makes a lot of sense. You see, sure. when you're not the person who's in that seat, see, when you're not in that seat, then you, you don't see it that way. When you're in that seat, you can see it. OK, so now to answer your question about leadership, leadership to me is being at times doing what other people want to do, but they won't do. Saying what other people want to say, but they won't say going where other people want to go, but they won't go. And here's why I say where they want to go, because when they see you do it, they then either do it or they go, I want to do that. That's why I say I don't look up to people because I'm like, I don't want to be Martin Luther King or Michelle Obama. I'm like, hell, that's the case. I run for that myself. Right. If that's the case. You know, I don't want to be Jay-Z. No. Why, why, why would I want to be Jay-Z even though he's a billionaire? You know, because if you think about his journey, what it took for him to get there, there are a lot of aspects of his journey I don't even want to touch, including the people he's lost in his life. Some of the people he lost, I still got. Okay, here we go. So a leader to me is a person who displays behavior, ideas, something that other people see that they want to do, but they don't feel that they can. So then you follow the person doing what you think you want to do or what you wish you could do. So you make that person a leader. I don't think a person is a leader because I say I'm a leader. No, I think you become a leader when someone's following you. That's literally what makes you a leader because you're leading something or some people. Right. You see, they tell you that you're a leader or you turn around and you realize, oh crap, why do you, it's like Forrest Gump. Why y'all running with me? <laughs> you know, why are you running with me? I'm just on my path. Then when you accept that you're a leader, 
when you accepted that, okay, I'm leading these people, then that means now I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about your perception of me. It's not, it's still not going to hold me, but I got to be mindful of that because I'm leading you. You are following me. So that means that if you're following me, that means I hopefully will display what I want you to do and I will display what you want to do. See, so that's why I say I don't look up to a lot of people because I rarely find people in these academic institutions who do. I'm not saying I'm the best because I'm not, but I rarely find people who do what I do. I rarely find people who show up and are who they say that they are. Oh, yes. And and I can I can attest to uh, the shock that some people experience when you actually show up as who exactly you say you are. It's just like, we didn't know you actually meant that. Like, yeah, but I mean, I kind of told you, like I kind of, everything I do and say works together. Not really sure why you're surprised, but okay. Before we talk about your music, because you have a song, uh, what is a leader 4.0? And we're going to talk about that in a second. And we're going to talk about all your music. Well, maybe not all like we probably unless we want to make like multiple episodes, which we could do, but I'd love to. But something occurred to me when you were talking about this example of this experience and leadership with this organization that, frankly, I mean, I'm just going to say it made it, you know, I'm not even, no, I'm not going to say it's an error because it might have been for your best good to not be part of an organization that couldn't recognize that you know, life eats plans for dinner and that they're part of a plan, which is what made me think, what do you think about the idea that you're, okay, so you're, you know, whether you think you're a leader or not, you're, you're leading, um, you are leading people, you're inspiring people to change, you're facilitating and creating opportunities for people to implement change that they say they want, and you're showing them how to do that, not just in who you are and what you do, but but in the space that you create for people to uh, reflect and make choices about right. who they want to be. Right. What do you think about the idea that that if they had been able to understand that you gave them a plan that included them as a community, that communities are leaders in creating the future that they want. Like, I just got goosebumps, so I'm not sure if I just like said something. I don't know. Did. did I say something? You did. Yes, okay. you did. Okay. So what do you, what do you hear when I say, you know, that they had an opportunity to take leadership as a community to create the future they say they wanted and they passed on that. They kind of passed on it. First, my friend, I'm stuck. I'm not shocked. I'm just stuck because I love your genius. <laughs> you say things so smoothly, eloquently. It's like, man, I'm glad I didn't come up with that because, I, because I'd rather give you credit. Oh. And for real, you know, I said, I'm glad I didn't come up with that. See, because see, see, that's the other thing. See, that's community. I'm glad I didn't come up with it because I can go to somebody else and understand how to perfect it to get it better. Let me call up Doc. Right. What you just said is spot on 100 or 1,000 or 1 billion. I don't know, you know, terabyte, whatever. It is all of that because that's really the truth. And But, but I hadn't thought of it like that. So thank you for that. They missed an opportunity for the community to create this future. See, I want to tell you one thing that the person said to me, and then I'll tell you what I said back to them. And then I, everything I know said makes sense. But you, they told me that 
the people it's like they wanted answers, you know, like they wanted a like a model, they wanted the plan. Right. So I asked her, I said, who wanted a plan? The people who stand in your way or the people who are actually doing something? I said, who wanted the plan? That's what she got stuck. She was like, hmm. Yeah. I'm like, who wanted it? I was like, who are we trying to please here? Are we trying to please the people that are the problem? Are we trying to please the people who are trying to be progressive? Like, what are we doing? Okay, here we go. That's one of the issues for many people is that they're stuck trying to please folks. And what really ends up happening is they're trying to please people that you can't please. This is like a supremacist trying to please a person who's not racist. You as a supremacist probably can't please that person who's not racist just because of who you are naturally, your mindset is racist. So you're not gonna be able to do it, right? Because that's not where your head is, but watch this. But you as a supremacist might be able to satisfy somebody as an economist. Why? Because we're talking about money now. We're talking about something that doesn't have emotion. Because money doesn't have feeling. Matter of fact, money's not even real. It's what money buys that's real. See? So this resource of money is what makes everything so crazy. And I think that's probably why we're struggling in our society. I'm not going to go too deep. I'm going to back it up to, to where we are here. The whole point of that is a community needs to be the leaders. One president can't lead millions of people unless you got millions of presidents. One president of a university can't lead thousands of people unless you have thousands of presidents, or I should say hundreds. Unless you have hundreds of presidents or at least tens of presidents so that people can represent the people in different ways. I'm a black person. Don't appoint me as the black president. Why? Because I don't do everything that all black people do. I don't. I'm sorry. Don't do that. Don't make me the man president. Why? I don't do what every cisgendered or what every man does. See? So basically, this is what I'm saying, Doc. The way that we govern is really off, and it's not really right anyway. It's off. One person can't do this. One person can't leave. How many deans, presidents have I seen that look? Every time a president leaves the White House, you ever notice how bad they look? Unless they're bad people. You ever notice how bad they look? I can say they because I know a woman's coming soon. You ever notice how that? How yeah. bad the presidents all look? One of the reasons you look so bad is because you can't do this on your own. You were never meant to. Every time I look at a dean, a department head, I look at how stressed they look. I'm like, damn, they look so stressed. It's because you're doing what you're not meant to do. The community is supposed to be in charge. Love that, love that. And so then that takes us to a community really of music that you have created. Because I know you do your own music and we're gonna talk about that, but you also have a community of musicians that you've created and elevated. And so first though, and I'm gonna put links to your website that has uh, all of your music. You know, people really need to listen uh, to, because there's so much that's profound. You always say, I'm saying something, you know, I don't know, something. But, but, you know, when you, when one listens to your music, uh, there's a lot that you have to say and your latest song, I hope it's still your latest song. Cause you produce so many songs. Um, and you're, you're, you know, you really, um, are always doing something, uh, good. And, 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 and so, but you have the song, what is the leader 4.0? And I remember we were taking a walk in the woods one day and we were talking about this song and, yes. and here it is. So, so tell me a little bit about this song, what it means to you. And, uh, yeah. Sure. Well, it is right now. It's my top performance song. 
uh, What is a Leader 4.0, which is technically a remix of the original What is a Leader. What's this song to me? Four, technically five, because I want to include the producer too, Tia Soundoff, you know, she, you know, and like powerful women, make it easier for other men to do stuff. <laughs> she created the canvas that we all basically painted on, you know what I'm saying? So Tia Soundoff got to elevate her first, because if it was not for her music, this wouldn't exist. And I worked with three of my friends, three of my brothers, Scars, the son, Scars the artist, the son of Hanu. And right now, Evan Grant, he's made, probably changed his name from Focus, but he's a lawyer. And we gave our own perspective of what leadership was. Um, I feel like the original What Is A Leader, which is all me, I kind of think that song is me telling people what I think a leader is and in a way what it isn't. What Is A Leader 4.0 was four scholars, four artists who are sharing how they understand leadership because they're telling you what they did, okay? Could I like maybe just like just do a quick like demonstration like of what I mean? Absolutely. I can do my because my verse is the shortest part of the song. I can happily say that. Talk about being humble. My song and I got the smallest part of the song because everybody else's verse is longer than mine. I'm like, that's why they all sound better than me. But anyway, I I go, uh, what is a leader? You think it's you. I know it's me, not something that I expected to be. To be real, you must have integrity. Now, Now look through history. Her story, too. You caught what I just did. Now look through history. Her story, too. James Orange is the leader that gave us the truth. Who's James Orange? My uncle. And my uncle is the one who would walk around calling people, hey, leader. Hey, leader. That's where I got it from. He called people that. So I'm so I, I wanted to acknowledge my uncle, who's the civil rights activist. Uh, James Orange is the leader that gave us the proof. Fred Hampton Asada, Amiri Baraka, the kids that are DACA, and Big Mamas too. So I called out all groups of people and a per and persons who have either been revolutionaries, who have been a leader, who've done something that we all look up for, and people who've been set aside. That's why I had to say the kids that are DACA. Any community of people with children who've gone through the BS that they've gone, that our people have gone through in particular, through immigration, you know you were a leader because you have persisted through something that you didn't put yourself up against. All right, so okay. Kids that are DACA and big mamas too. Big mama, big mama. I had a big mama. Big mamas are the ones who keep families together. See, so I'm also acknowledging all of these people who were leaders, people who were set aside, children that are DACA and big mamas who a lot of us forget to acknowledge. Big mamas too, a warning big papa. See, call out the women. Then I said a warning big papa. Now I'm coming at the men again, a warning. I also said warning big papa, Notorious B.I.G., one of my favorite rappers had a song called Warning, he went by big papa. All right, a warning big papa, devils target leaders that look like me. Hate your thugging and intrude our privacy. Silence leaders that speak mightily, uh, uh, speak truth to power. Now they silence scene, send pawns to infiltrate our movements, then attack us. That's why I stay in shape, be ready to dip or fight. That is my practice. Now I just gave you instruction. Whenever you're doing a movement, be ready for the, the pawns that the government will send in. When Malcolm X died, there were nine FBI informants in the room when he got killed. Okay, it was proven that FBI killed Fred Hampton in his apartment, assassinated that man, former Black Panther, or always a Black Panther because they killed him while he was the chief. So basically, I'm calling out what happens in our movements. All right. So when I said, uh, I said, I speak with facts. They say that I'm cussing. I speak with passion. They hide and induct me. Um, now let's do something and get their stomachs bubbling. Gather Black folks. Now I started something. What else we need to do? 
you're brown and Asian and poor whites too. Instead of hating each other, let's join indigenous and make these covenant rules that work for each nation. A true test of patience can leave it alone. It'll always take maintenance. That's the whole point. You can never leave it alone. And then there's something else I forgot. Then they said, we can't do it. I said, you liar. You can just save it. And I forgot the rest of it. But that's the point. Well, <laughs> I listen, listen I got goosebumps just listening to you. And I know that that listeners can't see you, but I, 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 I really was just listening to you. And a lot flashed through my brain. And one of the things, and, and this wasn't, you know, something I planned on asking, but I was reading that they paved over, they painted over the Black Lives Matter on the streets in Washington, D.C. You see. And I feel like what you were saying about it's something you practice, it's something you keep doing. You can never leave it alone. You can't just let it sit without your attention, without your focus, without your conscious choice. And I remember reading that and and I felt sad because the symbolism to me of painting over, it's like, it's not done. It's not over. It hasn't even begun. I mean, not really. Mm -mm. You know, and as a woman and a woman in STEM, Mm. you know, I know that my experience, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I don't like this ranking of mine is worse than yours or mine is the same as yours. Yours is worse than mine. Right. The reality is that, but for a select group of people, which you mentioned earlier, um, typically, you know, white males and some white females, as we know, the rest of us that don't fit into that box of who made the rules to benefit them. There is no, there is no space where like, you know, I would say that I can encounter challenges and and the worst is that I I didn't really notice until I started to go higher. And, (laughs) and so this is where we fail to recognize that the more you try to achieve and if, the more you you re- encounter the resistance, the more you encounter the no, 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 you need to show up this way. And the funny thing is that even if you show up that way, it's not good enough. No. And even is. if you say it right or you wear the right clothes or you publish the right papers or you do the whatever they told you you're supposed to do, it's a game. It a doesn't. Game. It, it doesn't mean anything. So to me, I'm like you. I'm not going to play by the rules because guess what? I played by the rules and it turns out the rules benefit you. Mm-hmm. Not me and not everybody. And it's not based on how good I am. It's it, like it has nothing mm-hmm. to do with that. And so, okay, sorry. I had to just go Don't there for good. a second. Um, so my, I'm curious uh, well, and I want to sort of end on this, uh, 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 you know, what's next for you? What is the, the you know, what is Dr. Thomas Rashad Easley 5.0? All right. What's next for me? I plan to work to stay healthy, you know, one, and, you know, take care of my family and be there for my friends. I really have to say that first because that's what matters to me. You know, I mean, we are. That's why, we, you know, we be checking with each other, you know, and I just want to stay alive long enough to continue to do that for my people. You know, and my people are my family and my friends. Those, those, those are my people. Majority of my people don't look like me. That's why they're my people. 
And so, um, you know, and that's why I write the songs the way that I do, you know, because I want people to know that I really want to be with people. So, so what's next for me? I have an album. I have ten, two, um, two albums that um that will be coming out. Music, scholarship, and let's just go consults. Music. Two albums coming out. One is called Life of a Leader. Hence, well, what is a leader is on. And uh, technically, that one is done, mm-hmm. but you know, still got to put some finishing touches on it because that's probably going to be like an EP. It's just an EP. Here's why I say probably, because what I'm not going to put on that record, I really think I want to put on this other record called Diagnosis. D-I-E, die, yeah. U-G-H, U-G-H, K-N-O-W, no, S-Y-S, system. And I want to make, and I'm working on this album right now, and it's coming together like pretty quickly where it's really like the life of a professor. You know, like, why do you teach how you do? Why do you speak how you do? So it's like the day in the life, you know, mm-hmm. someone coming in my office and talking about how do you talk so much about yourself that my song Origin will come on, you know, da, da, da. And then I'm going to re-release my Southern Black Gentleman album because um, nice. I remastered it. So I want people to actually hear it. Plus, I released it under Rashad. I'm Rashad Ease now, so I need to release it under that. Okay, so that's music. All right. Scholarship. I have a book that's coming out. Uh, later this year. I, I don't know specifically when, but I think it's coming out soon because I just submitted it to the publisher on Friday. What's Final the title copy, again? Mind Heart for Diversity. And the whole point of that book is I'm talking about putting your mind and heart together to do this work. You know, because um, I, I think that, that when you operate with both the mind and the heart at the same time, you can be emotionally conscientious but you can also be mentally prepared because you're thinking through why you're feeling. And we need to stop acting like we're human beings that are siloed because we're not. No, you know, we work in systems that are that way. And then the funny, those systems are trying to come back together and figure some stuff out because they realize that being siloed is not who we are. Right. So that's well, the, so that's the, mm-hmm. Oh, I just want to add to that. You know, I, I just uh, finished a podcast um, with uh, Dr. Christy Violsi on consciousness in, in uh, humans and other animals and Aristotle, right? Yes. He believed mm-hmm that the mind was in the heart. And I know physiologically, whatever, we can say that's not true. But I think that like you were just saying that if we -hmm. we think more with our heart, we become more conscious. Mm -hmm. That's it. See, see everybody, see? I says it way more eloquent. That's what I'm talking about. See, that's, that's why we're a team. But that's what you just uh, said. And that's why I got all excited because I'm like, oh, my God, I just tweeted that yesterday. <gasps> but you said it like that. I just you just gave me a way to say, see, I got <laughs> okay. to reference your tweets. OK, that's the scholarship. Yep. That's the music. And then the last part, what did I say? The consultancy. Yes. Um, and uh, for those who, you know, would love to. Those who are leaders of organizations that want to diversify your organization, but you, you, you feel like I'm having a hard time. You know, I will be one of the people I think that you sh- will want to bring in. Now I'll go ahead and I'll admit, cause some people are going to listen to that and they're going to hear other parts of this conversation and they may, and some people may go, I don't want to talk. If he's going to come in and talk to me like that, like the whole ignorant thing. First, let me say this. Um, it's not my problem when people can't accept their own reality. That ain't my problem. That's their problem. But I don't go into places saying that. Let, let, let me just say that. But here's the reason why I said their perception of themselves is not my problem, it's their problem. If people know what the word ignorant means, then that means you know everybody on the planet is that I word. Why resist that word? 
It's because of what it means to them in that moment, what I'm talking about. See, and that's the whole, that's why I keep saying about this whole diversity work. That's why being a pastor was so important. And I didn't realize that it was important until after I stopped being a pastor. When you were speaking to people who think they believe the same thing and then they're going at each other, that's the ultimate place. That's the ultimate training ground for war right there. Like, all right, okay, being a pastor, that being an imam, that's the best place to get your practice on for being a DEI professional or being a leader because you're basically dealing with people who are full of you know what, who don't realize that they're full of you know what, most of them, and they're basically going at each other as if they're right when they're all wrong. Well, and, and here's the thing. I want to reframe the word ignorant, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe people who might listen to this. It's, it's, it's a lack of knowledge. I think it's a lack of knowledge of what you don't know. Lack of knowledge of what you don't know. I'll go with that, Doc. It's one yeah. aspect. You can be ignorant about a lot of I'll things. But, but in the context of you think you know something you don't know, mm-hmm. you th- you're not even aware. There's a lack of awareness about your own knowledge. And that is what makes you ignorant. <laughs> no, did I, I do okay, it no. again? You did it again. You did it again. But this time I got to share. Because there's something that I would say from time to time. And I've said this not to you. I said this with you. I said, when your when your arrogance and your ignorance are operating at the same level, we got a problem. <gasps> oh. And to me, that's what you just said. Yes. So you said, do you think you know? So why not you? Okay, not yeah, Jennifer. Yeah. Not talk, why are you speaking so loud when you don't know what you're talking about? See, and then while you're speaking loud, I'm supposed to come to you as the resource but you don't know what you're talking about. And I tell people that's why you see so much mediocrity in these spaces because most people's arrogance and ignorance are operating at the same level, at the same frequency. And it's like, what you doing? You, my friend, said that much more eloquently than I did. And so let me tell you, first of all, anybody would be blessed and fortunate to have you come into their space to help them create the change they say they want. And we can only hope that they actually want that change, right? That's the first thing. The music you make is so powerful and you, we, we didn't even get to talk about all of the other artists that you actually, you have created a community of artists so that they can be actualized and realize their own potential, their own, have their voice out there and their own message reach people. So I want to make sure that, that those links are in the show notes. And the other, the other thing is that, what was that first thing, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had your music. Oh, your, your scholarship. Okay. And then, and then the gift that you're giving by sharing with others through your book, a pathway for how to implement change is is phenomenal and i can't wait to get a copy of that book i know that i'm gonna be hitting you up for a copy and i'm gonna pay for it too i'm no 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 i'm paying for that book because you we have to value the gifts that we bring to the world and in our and, and, and as a friend, I can I can value you on a lot of different levels. But you said something earlier, which is that the way that you're valued in, in our current iteration of society is what we're willing to pay because that's the currency in that world. So, mm. you know, when your book comes out, I want to make sure that I have you back on so we could talk about it. Um, OK, because I think that 
that people need to hear from you again. And I always love talking to you. And I know that I've kept you on a really long time. So I am so grateful for the time that you were willing to give to come on, on my show and share all of this. And as always, these conversations with you, like I could cry right now, but I'm not gonna, I'm gonna say thank you for being here. I could, I could do the same. That people, anybody listening, you gotta understand, um, when you're talking to a friend and I'm looking at my friend, I'm looking at, you know, y'all don't have a fortune of looking at each other, but we do, you know, it just, it makes space for my heart, you know? So, like I said, I'm not, I'm not used to that. I'm not always, I'm not used to that. So I'm like sitting here getting misty eyed now. So thank you. Thank you for letting me come on your show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me, you know, and, um, you know, thank you for, uh, you know, just being an example, you know, of what, we as scientists are supposed to be and what we as scholars are supposed to be. And then I'll say human beings, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And and, and I hope y'all heard what I said. I said, scientist, scholar, and human being. I said it like that on purpose because I know who I'm talking to. You know, she, she teaches me. I love you, man. (laughs) Yeah. Love you too. Well, there you have it. A really fantastic conversation. And he's a real Jedi. Please keep your eyes out for Mind, Heart for Diversity by Thomas Rashad Easley. It's going to be released soon, and it will tell you how to begin to address structural and cultural problems so that change can come. And the only question that remains is, do you have the heart and mind for it? And here's my take as someone who's always been committed to justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. I've observed that there's a certain optic individuals, groups, and institutions want to have about their work in that space without actually doing the work. For instance, maybe there's a committee, but the committee just can't get anything done. Maybe there's a department, but within the power structure of an institution, like a university, it can't actually implement any kind of change. When it comes to universities, there was a piece recently that came out speculating that colleges and universities advertise their commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion basically to attract socially conscious white students and that their policies, environment, hiring practices, and communities don't actually reflect a commitment to living diversity, equity, and inclusion at all levels, whether it's student, staff, faculty, leadership, and anyone else. And that speaks to the congruence that Dr. Rashad Easley was talking so much about. That's it for this week. Now, don't forget, you can find the notes on my website, jenniferverdalen.com, or on the podcast website, Wild Connection, the podcast, hosted by Podbean. And please, if you're enjoying the show, subscribe to it so you'll get notified every time a new episode comes out. And please share it so others can enjoy it too. On the show notes, you'll find links to follow and keep up with Dr. Thomas Rashad Easley, a.k.a. Rashad Ease, his music, and his upcoming book. Next week, I give an ode to dads out there, and I talk to Dr. Dave Anderson all about Nazca boobies with a dash of albatross. These are seriously devoted dads. Well, most of the time.